0: And without your word, there is no life for us. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're giving to us today in the life of your word. And we bless you. We praise you. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> well, we're going to talk today about um, something you should not forsake. Do not forsake this. And do not forsake this. Do not forsake me. We've got some people missing, I can tell. Where are they? (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Everybody in here, in here, in here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God. In Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10 and verse 25, uh, there's an important passage of scripture, I believe, because it speaks to... Uh, the end times. It speaks to something that I know uh, is a principle that I've always held to: that if you can can uh, allow yourself the discipline of doing certain things, your life will go well. You know, it's like if if it gets as bad as it gets sometimes in certain areas, you don't. You only go so far. You know, you don't go over a certain line. And so uh, in, in my life in the Lord, I found that if you set up certain principles and boundaries from the beginning, you know, there's some like key things that God will speak to you as a believer. And if you will live your life accordingly and not step over the line, you know, so to speak, you know, it's like if, it's like when you're married, you know, if you realize that, you know, your husband's the type that will get angry and, you know, whatever, whatever, as long as it doesn't go to a certain escalate to a certain point, then you I'm talking real life folks. I don't know what y'all believe marriage is about, but it's real life. You know, you live with a human, you're human and you have to work things out, you know, it's it's just that way. It's it's no fairy tale, it's no make believe. I found that when I would pray for God to change people, he changed me and changed them. <laughs> I mean, he never never promises you that he's going to change people to suit you. He's God. You're not. You got me? And so once you get your little business in order like that, you know, you can live. You understand who you are and what you can expect God to do. But, you know, I always said, I said, as long as we're threatened to pack bags and move out, we haven't crossed the line. When you start packing them, you start helping each other pack, then you're in trouble. You got me? That was free. Huh? I mean, there's trouble. There's a certain line you don't cross. You know, say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, brother. I didn't mean it to go that far. Let's be friends. Let's touch toes, touch something before we go to sleep here tonight. And, you know, let's be friends about this. It ain't that important to fall out totally about. And there are certain things in your Christian walk that you're going to have to be the same way about. Certain things you cannot forsake. And one of them, according to Hebrews 10.25, is the assembling of yourselves together as believers. Okay. The Bible warns us not to forsake that. Right. And let me tell you why. There's certain life that flows in the body of believers. There's certain dynamics that happen in the body of believers. And God does not want us to fall short of the benefit and also the responsibility that we carry for being a part of a a local assembly and being part of the body of Christ in particular. There is a way that we are to fit together. The Bible talks about that. In Romans 12, it tells us that we are a body and that we are fitly joined together. There are certain uh, aspects of, of your spirit and your life that are necessary for the life of other parts that you are connected with. You got me? These are necessary things. These are not optional things. These are, don't look at people as being so easily replaced. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You know, people are very valuable to one another. That's why sometimes ministers pray and fight very hard to keep congregations intact. Because they realize the importance of, of sheep staying uh, together, sheep staying under authority, under the shepherd. All of those things are extremely important. One of the blessings, mixed blessings, I guess, of the age that we live in is the availability of the preached word in different media uh, opportunities. We have the preached word. You can go on YouTube and you can hear anybody preach you know, there's a little cat that preaches <laughs> huh? on there all the time. They even have him preaching in Spanish. I sent that to Maria one time to get a translation on it, you know. And so there's everything from the preaching cat to the preaching preachers to preachers just getting started. And you think, whoa, this is pretty rough. I, is a long, that was a long day for that congregation, you know. So everybody's entitled to make what they do public. Then you have preaching that's on television that people pay good money for, all to feed the body of Christ. And there are also different motives. People get on there with different motives. One of them's fundraising. Uh, One of them's building their congregations, all that kind of stuff. You know, people just want to have that exposure. But God has assigned his people to a local body, a local congregation. So that you can be there in the flesh, you can be there, uh, so that God knows you're there. He has an appointment to meet you there. Every time that assembly gathers, you have an appointment to be there according to God. You don't have excuses. You don't have permission slips that get stamped, and it's okay not to be there. You got me. If you're not there, then you make uh, you make uh, plans. To at least try and get what you, you know, the nice thing is we can have recorded messages now. And you can try and retrieve those. You got me? But I think people who are looking for permission not to be somewhere don't even want to retrieve what they missed. You know, they don't even want the tapes. They don't want, they just, you know, they think it's okay to skip it. You understand what I'm saying? Yet we're expecting God to come through for us when we have a need, when we pray for something. The Skippet people are looking for a reason not to fulfill their obligation rather than an excuse. You, You see what I'm saying? Not looking for an excuse not to fulfill that obligation. You don't want that to creep into your spiritual life. You want to be everywhere God wants you to be all the time, receiving everything that he has, giving it your full attention making sure that you uh, take seriously the opportunity that God has given you to receive his word. You can you can come up to the altar and get prayer. In many churches, you can't even, the preacher doesn't know you, doesn't care to know you. He's too busy on his book tour and all that kind of stuff to even think about what the sheep are doing. You understand what I'm saying? So there's, there's a, a, a purpose to the life of the body. And I'm not saying everybody is into the purpose the way they're supposed to be. But I'm saying if you look at the word, you can examine what the purpose is and make sure that you are doing what you do for the right purpose and you're receiving the benefit of what you're supposed to receive and you're fulfilling the obligation that God has set before you. Amen? Because everything that you get benefit-wise, there's an obligation on your part as far as what God wants you to do. So, praise God. Now, the Bible says here in Hebrews 10, 25, in 23, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. In other words, when you come to God, There's no sense that you don't belong there. There's no sense that he won't hear you. There's no sense that he won't answer you. There's no sense that he doesn't love you. There's full assurance of faith because he's told you what your requirements are. And that is to have faith in him and confidence that the blood of Jesus has paid the price for you to be in his presence. He has says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let us consider, in other words, when you think about your neighbor or you think about somebody in the church, think about your purpose in their life is to provoke them to love and to good works. Amen. Provoke. What does that word provoke mean? It means you're supposed to stir each other up. Amen. Huh? Yes. You're supposed to irritate each other, make each other ma- angry. Mm-hmm. Oh, angry. I don't think you, you know, we're not supposed to have anger in the church. If you've got people, you're going to have all kinds of stuff. Amen. Huh? Yeah, yeah. The Bible says Be angry. But don't let it make you sin. Yes. See, so it's it's you can't. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. There's sometimes somebody will come in with the if they come in using the last time they had something new. You said to yourself, if they come in with something new again, I'm just gonna go off. Where am I gonna get something new, God? There they is show me something new again, <laughs> huh? Uh-huh. So you get angry. Well, what does that anger do for you? You get provoked. You get stirred up. You stir each other up all the time. Your words stir each other up. Actions stir each other up. Sometimes you remind each other of somebody, and that stirs you up. So whenever you're around people, you're going to be changed. You're going to have some kind of reaction to them. There's no way you can stop that. But you have to keep that reaction within certain boundaries and certain limits. Don't let it go out of certain certain things sometimes you need to go home and examine yourself god what is it about this person (laughs) that rubs me the wrong way what is it about this person that i like you know even though sometimes they're a mess you like them anyhow see and so we're provoked by one another but not we're not to be provoked to to sin against one another we're supposed to be provoked to love and to good works And so there are sometimes people that you think are hard to love. They're just hard for you to love. They're not hard for everybody else to love. Grow up. You know what I'm saying? Listen, it's up to to you. That Bible is speaking to you to love everybody. They're not talking to them to love you. You got me? It's speaking to you to love everybody. We go around and take a poll and see who else is mad at that person. Because we think it's their job to change their behavior, so we approve of them. Huh? All that's saying to you is, baby, you better dig a little deeper. Because what you're trying to get away with here is just surface love, and God's not putting up with it. Because that person's here to stay. Because they've been called here by God. God has created a place for them here. It is their spot to be here, and God's not moving them, so you're going to have to make some changes. You got me? And that's the job of the body of Christ. That's our job with one another. We're just doing our job. We're provoking one another to love and to good works. Not jealousy and not anger and not giving up, but good works. When somebody is blessed in the congregation, they can either give a testimony if the pastor opens a door for that. Sometimes the pastor doesn't know what's going on in your life, but you might feel led to share it with somebody. Or you're just a blabbermouth and you tell everything anyway, and you tell it whether you're, whether you're led by God or not. Woo! You, guess what God did for me? Woo! Guess what I got? Huh? When you hear something like that, your reaction is based on how you position yourself in God's kingdom. The first thing you ought to say to yourself is, whoa, they sit under the same word I sit under. They have got a job just like I do. They do some things right, some things wrong, just like I do. My turn's coming. See, my turn's coming. That means something is about to happen good in my life because spiritually speaking, we're feeding the same food. We're growing under the same word if I'm obedient to God and if I listen, listen carefully and find out what they did, A, B and C to get that, then perhaps that will repeat in my life too. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So you can grab that and bank it. Even if you can't use it this week, you can bank it for later. Because there will come a time it comes up, you're going to need it. And if you receive it in a heart that's full of love, it will work for you. Amen. Amen. The worst thing in the world you can do is be critical. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how she got some. She'll never do nothing right. Sit up there and sleep when the word being preached. You know what I'm talking about. If it works for a sleeper, if you're wide awake, it ought to work twice as well for you. <laughs> uh-huh. So we're supposed to be provoked by one another to love and to good works. Not pity, not sympathy, not some false thing, but true love. Love means forgiving faults of people. You'll find faults if you're looking for them. You'll find things to commend people if you're looking for commendable things. Hopefully, you'll find more things to commend to somebody than fault. See, if you're mature, maturity will teach you how to keep your eyes focused, you know, on things that you can commend people for rather than faults. Because trust me, the devil's already beating them up about their faults. You got me? Just like he'll beat you up about yours. And so we're going to grow as a body. We have to learn what our job is, and that is provoke one another to love and to good works. And so when we see one another, when we think about one another, when we pray for one another, pray the word over that person. Don't try to find out. Try to get a word from God to find out what's wrong with them. Huh? Cause well, he ain't gonna tell you nothing, huh? He, but he'll have you pray for him. You don't need to know what's wrong with somebody. All you need to know a word that covers that situation. You got me? And so it'll help you a lot to understand that that's how love works. So he says in verse twenty-four, "Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works." And if you keep that in mind, that that's what we assemble for, then it won't be so hard to keep coming to church. It won't be so hard to keep assembling yourselves together. It won't be so hard. If you realize that when I show up at church, somebody is going to grow because of me. One way or the other, they're going to grow because of me. And I'm going to grow because of my interaction with that individual. And so we keep that in mind. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So even in the early church, they had these little splinter groups that didn't want to come anymore, didn't want to assemble with the saints anymore, didn't want to take their rightful place in the body of Christ. But he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. In other words, if somebody, you haven't seen someone in church for a while, you're to exhort them, ask the Lord, God put it on my heart to to pray for them more. Put it on my heart to open the door for me to call them and speak to them and stir them up and exhort them. They're kind of like low on energy. And so they need somebody to stir them up and exhort them to assemble themselves again together with the body because that's where growth is. Think if you cut your your hand off. You know, most, most circulation problems... If they're not caught and repaired, and and it's very, very hard to repair circulation problems. You see that, say you see in people that have diabetes where they have uh, poor circulation eventually is cut off or the circulation doesn't carry the right nutrients to a part of the body. Eventually that thing will get discolored. It will be what they call dead tissue and have to be amputated. If it's not, it will eat up the rest of the body you got me so a disconnected body part is a very dangerous body part in that it can infect the rest of the body you see what I'm saying so you stay connected so that you're somebody who who brings life and you can help grow and you can help thrive you don't want to be the part that's causing poison to come into the rest of the body and you all know what we're talking about you got people that don't want to come to the ministry anymore, and they start. I can tell you the, the excuses right now, the reasons. Pastor Barb don't know how to talk to people. Uh, she ain't nice, and I ain't going to never be nice to a devil. So if you're going to keep your devils, we can part company now. They work you too hard. You got always got to you got to carry them them things and you got to, and you don't have no time. They take up all your time Saturday and Sunday all day. Yes, we do. Why? This is a school of ministry, huh? Now, see, let me tell you what you get in exchange. You don't go to the doctor no more. And I know for a fact, if you didn't get your six whatever appointment and your this appointment that appointment, you went crazy when you was in the world. So you don't go to the doctor no more. You got Pastor Shirley's cell number and Pastor Barb's phone number. You got, the, you got that mean lady's phone number. Huh? You know you can call her, but you better mean business when you call me. I don't put up with shenanigans. You got me? And that's the way it should be. Amen? God's time is valuable. You don't waste his servant's time with a bunch of nonsense. Huh? You know, you better not call Pastor Bob talking about somebody who was mean to you at church. Now, don't you? Well, if you don't, you better. Huh? Because what do I do? I tell you, go read your Bible and find out what your responsibility is. You don't come to me. You go to them. The Bible says it's real clear. You scared to go to them? It's because you're wrong. So go sit down, repent, go love them, and shut up. Amen? So we take care of those things like that as Christianity 101. Or they don't let you do ministry. I didn't know you had one (laughs) to do. Now, you're all free to do believer's ministry. We got empty seats here because somebody ain't doing what they're supposed to do. You got me? So until they fill up, and I know you filled them up all by yourself, then we'll talk about your ministry. Huh? Huh? Oh, serious? Yeah. If you want to be we have to ordain you. People who get ordained, their life has to be examined. By me, Pastor Shirley, Miss Nola, and her husband, and Tony. You got me? It has to be examined. What do you do with your free time when you're not around church people? That has to be known. We don't lay hands on people that can't be accountable for their personal life. Am I right, Miss uh, Ingrid, you worked with a minister and you traveled with her and your life had to be what? Above reproaches, right? No shenanigans, right? Ingrid couldn't be missing sometime or don't answer her phone or don't answer her text. You got me? And so this is not an easy life, folks, but when you can submit to that, then we can consider the gift, the anointing, all that kind of stuff. We can consider those things. But I'm telling you, we, those people who will submit to that are few and far between. You got me? So that's why they don't come back. That's why they forsake the assembling of themselves with other believers. If you don't know how to stay connected to the body and love, you'll have a hard way to go, folks, a very hard way to go that transparency is very important I live a transparent life you can come to my house anytime now don't just come up there don't just come rushing up on me well I heard she be cooking on Sunday after the empowerment meet y'all be ashamed of yourself looking for me to cook for you when I worked hard the day before but I do it anyway you got me But you can come and stay at my house. I have nothing to hide from you. You better not come and knock on my door when I, you know what I'm saying, I need my privacy. We respect each other. I don't knock on yours either. You got me? But we respect one another. We don't have anything to hide. I don't have anything to hide from you. You don't have anything to hide from the saints of God. Your life is open. To God and to his people. You ought to respect his people enough for that. I respect you too much to have some stupid secrets. You know, and I haven't had a husband in 11 years. And, you know, very frankly, I'm satisfied, me and God. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you get them phases in your life. Marriage was one, one, and I've stepped over into another season. That's what they call season, not a phase, a season. I'm in my, uh, my widow season, you know what I'm saying. I was looking on Facebook yesterday, and this lady, I respect a lot for her ministry. She's on there, divorced a very sick husband not too long ago. She's on there now with an engagement ring like. She got wrinkles, her face looked like a road map, and the man she's pointing to, his is more roadmap than hers is. You understand? You, yes. you see how the devil will make you crazy? Yes. Here's a woman God's entrusting with ministry, yes. a respected woman who has people working for her, and she does something like that. Yes. Know your role. Right. You understand me? When God elevates you and gives you ministry, you respect him back by carrying yourself yes. in such a way that people can look at you with respect. And the dignity that God has placed on, you don't lower yourself into some level. That's something for a young woman to do. That's not something for somebody her age to do. And I'll tell her, too, if I get an opportunity. Good thing I don't get many opportunities to. But, you know, I'd gladly, if God opened the door, tell them, Sister, you really don't want to do that. You know, you, God's elevated you so much. I have such high regard for you and your ministry. You don't want to do that. You don't want to damage that. You don't want to put that in jeopardy. Amen. So anyway, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, God's put such a dignity on all of us Amen. as believers. We're clothed in, in a grace and a dignity that you can't buy. Amen. You got me? You can't buy this. I can remember being in Bible studies when I was a new Christian. I always wanted to hear people's testimonies because I was always amazed at the transforming power of God. And I knew I had been saved, and I know I felt different. But when you get around other believers, you look at them, and they you can't tell. Some of these women, they were women. You know, they look like sweet little housewives, and you find out this woman, was she on heroin for 25 years? and. You know, God delivered her. She's been clean for six years, and she's a little grandmother, hadn't met none of her grandkids all the time. She was, And she's just such a dignified presence. You wouldn't think anything like that had been in her background. And I'm telling you, God has placed such a dignity on each and every one of us to not live in that. You understand? To not aspire to try and live in that. And that's part of what we do when we assemble together. We help one another live in the dignity that God has placed upon each and every one of us. Not because we're anointed and we do this and we do and this one has this ministry. But there's a dignity of you as a human being that cannot be purchased. Just cannot be purchased. And we need to learn how to walk in it and help one another walk in it. And that's part of what we do when we assemble together. We help one another walk in the identity and the dignity that God has created for each and every one of us. I don't want any of you to fail at anything that God has for you. You understand what I'm saying? Because I feel like this. If, if you don't make it, somebody's being robbed of what you could have brought to their life. You got me? Humanity's being robbed of something. You always, and when we assemble together, we're supposed to provoke one another to keep going, keep doing, keep yes. keep doing what you do. Man. Do what you do best, yes. you know, and, and incorporate some more stuff into that. I remember when we were just starting as a ministry, <clears throat> I could see the gifts in people. And I thought, God, everybody's got something, yeah. you know? It was like, why do people sit around and wonder what they're supposed to do? When it gets to be so obvious when you get the saints together, this one is can't rest until they get, can tell at least call 15 or 20 people to come to church. You know what I'm saying? This one wants a beer vehicle. So remember Chuck with the, her station wagon and then her van, and they're always trading in something, you know, for something more. You know, Sheree, I know she'll never want for a car. Why, she gave her car away years ago. She's never been without two cars. She'll never be without transportation. You understand what I'm saying? So you understand these things about people. You understand what they bring. You understand their strength. Kareem works like 15 men. I've never seen a woman work as hard and diligently and doesn't ever look tired. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody brings something you know and and I know she likes to look nice and like her nails and all that kind of stuff but still she puts work in its proper place and that brings a dignity to her life it doesn't it doesn't put her down in any way it elevates her as far as god is concerned so when you see people using what god's given them it's a blessing to see what they bring to the body of christ and it would be a shame for the body of christ not to have benefit of all of those things. So when we tell you to live for God and live in the word and stir you up to do more, stir you up to quit whining, stir you up to get over yourself, stir you up to not be so mad at somebody, stir you up to not be so wound up about anything. It's so that the beauty of that gift that God's put in you can come forth because that gift is gonna serve you, it's gonna serve humanity, it's gonna serve everybody, that you come in contact with and when you connect with them the right way. Amen. And that's so important for us as believers. <clears throat> so we are to, to assemble by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God chooses the assembly that you're assigned to. We have an assignment, folks. Amen. And I don't know the wisdom of God <clears throat> in how he assigns. But I do know that he assigns according to your gift and your calling and your purpose. Our conversation or our interaction, not just verbally, but our interaction with one another is to edify and build up each other. And of course, there is some breaking down and tearing down of things that are not God-like. So when you come into contact with somebody, say for instance, you really want to help people and you keep hearing these testimonies about people who prayed for people and they got healed and you start feeling like, should I be doing that? Or, you know, I think the first thing before you move forward is some kind of conviction to compel you to not stay where you are. And see, this is how God moves. And sometimes this is why we don't like to hear people keep talking and talking and talking and talking, budgie, budgie. Because you're being convicted about where you're at. And God's telling you, come on, it's time to move. You can't stay here any longer. You see her doing it? She, not, she don't have anything more. I don't love her anymore and I love you. So let's get moving. And so that prodding of the Holy Spirit is a type of provoking. You got me? It provokes you to move from the place where you are into a greater place so that God can use you more. When I found out Pastor Shirley was, was gifted in teaching people the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I told her, I said, we got to get a book written. Okay. I said, because <clears throat> nobody's written anything very much on tongues. You know, Kenneth, hey, everybody's got a white tongue. They treat it like it's, you know... Well, a small member, the Bible said, but don't, don't treat it so cheap, you know, because that's the entry door. Your mouth is the entry door to everything that you you get. You understand what I'm saying? And so I had to provoke her, you know, push her off of where she was. Onto something else. And so I knew what I was after. And I was praying that God could give her the vision to see. But I can't make her move. She's got to receive it and move on it before she can move. Same thing with anybody else. See, I can't make you do anything. But I know that if you'll take that step, then the rest of it will come. You You understand what I'm saying? And so that's what provoking from the the fivefold does to you. They they have something they have that they know God has secured for you. And we stir you into that. We're not pushing you to do something that won't pay off. And I think that's what happens with some people. They don't they don't realize what it will do for them. You know what it will net them because they're on this side of obedience. Well, faith is calling you from that side, the accomplished side of obedience. It's not over here where you are. Faith is over there where your stuff is. And it's calling you to to leap over and come on over where it is and it knows you can get there. And so when we start provoking one another, folks, it gets to be a, a tense kind of a thing because sometimes you can't see all that's there. And I can't either. I just know that for you to stay where you are is not the will of God and his best for you. His best is for you to keep adding to your faith. Keep adding to. Don't stay stagnant. Don't stay right where you are. Stir yourself up. We need people who are constant stirrers of the body of Christ, who are always going to be excited about what God is doing. You know, excited people have a... Uh, it's a two-edged sword. You know, it's like, oh boy, here they come again, talking about... Well, you need that. So you need that. Because sometimes if, as we assemble, if there's a complacency that is settled on people, people who are excited about things will tend to provoke them, put them under conviction, and, all, and people don't want to be provoked. They won't say, oh, no, don't, don't ruffle my don't mess up my covers I made my bed you understand what I'm saying get off and get them wrinkles out of there and so when we understand the purpose of that provocation then we'll appreciate better those who can stir up see and those who won't relent and won't back down in their stirring so and they're not to be uh, condemning of people you don't condemn people but you come there with a life see that stirring brings life into a situation and it brings a richness there are some things that that we'll have to do as a ministry that that are going to cause some of us to get you know out of our little comfort zone and press in and press more so, you know we we're always looking for something well what does it God want us to do you know And as I get older, I said, oh, Lord, what is he, you know, used to be, whoo, what's next? You know, now it's like, oh, what's next? (laughs) Oh, what's next? Oh, I got to get to the gym. Don't go to the gym. You understand what I'm saying? You don't know how to prepare yourself. But I do know that God's faithful. And if you're open, he will be able to fill you in. He takes care of all that stuff. But, But your soul will say, man, I can't. I can't fold myself up on the bus no more and do that kind of stuff. I mean, it just wants to say that. And so we have to understand that there's always work for us to do. Brother Summerall was saying when he was 80 years old, God came to him with a new ministry. And he told God he was old. God said, I know you're old. I know how old you are. He said, but you're just old enough where I know I can trust you. So you got to consider your growth. You've got to consider what you are able to do. What were you able to do 10 years ago that, that you're able to do better now? Or were, what couldn't he trust you with back then that he can finally trust you with? And so we have to consider all of these things. God could care less how much you grumble and complain. What he has for you, he has for you, period. Huh? So God chooses the assembly that we're assigned to. Some people don't like to be accountable. You know, some people don't like to be tied down. And so God will allow you a freedom that you, you can experience in some way, but yet disciplining you. That's typical of the Christian life. See, we're all free to do certain things, but then there's a restraint somewhere on the inside of us that tells us, you know what, you can't go there. You can't do that. You know, you just stop right there. And so we're we're free, but we're not. We're free under a discipline of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God will, will do something in your life and you feel like the world belongs to you. You know, you just have that sense that, man, I could go anywhere and do anything the way I feel right now. And then he'll settle you in and show you that these are all facets of his life working in you. See, the Holy Spirit has to give you that freedom on the inside, where the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, you feel like nothing's restricted to you. But yet, and still, you're assigned in a certain way. You can't live out on that limb of, of going into all the world all the time. You see what I'm saying? You, it's like everybody has a home. You know, pigeons have homes to, to fly to and nests to fly to when they have to refresh themselves. And so we have to learn how to live both ways. You can't be a, an anointing junkie or a, 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 a ministry junkie. You know, some people don't know how to lay it down and put it down and, and let God have it back so that he can perfect it and help them with it. You know, so we have to learn those things from God. So when we pr- provoke one another to love and good works... We do it through our conversation, our lifestyle. Our conversation should edify and build up. We should have testimony, prayer, and exhortation. Our testimony in itself is provocative. It will evoke certain kinds of responses and emotions in people. The word provoke means that word uh, is from the Latin word, means to just call out or call forth. It also means to anger, to exasperate, and to vex. So, a testimony will vex you. I hear Crystal had a testimony about sending Ben Franklin to get his big brother or something like that. So, amen. So, that shows you that word works. And, and see, people who just took it as another. Another uh, scripture during the offering probably were provoked a little on the inside. Do you mean I should have taken that more seriously? Or I would if I didn't, amen? So our testimonies are provocative. To provoke, really, I said, means to stir up or arouse or call forth. That means you call forth feelings. You call forth vision. You call forth imagination in people when you share testimony. To provoke also means to incite, to stir to action. Interaction with other believers causes growth. If you handle it by the spirit, we can stimulate one another. When we're irritated by another Christian, we are to be provoked to forgive. So that gets your forgiver out, out of the closet. You know, shake the dust off of it to forgive and to love. And these are good works. That's what the Bible means when it says provoke to good works. We should be provoked always to overcome our weaknesses, our touchiness, and to grow. So whenever we're provoked by someone... If they do something and they are at fault, you know, they're clearly wrong as far as scripture and all that, don't get hyped up for three days because you got evidence on somebody, you know, you want to go get Johnny Cochran out of the grave and give him his little retainer, you know what I'm saying? Take him to the highest court. No, God didn't take you to the highest court. So you, amen. Forgiveness is the one thing you cannot do too much of. Because God says that in the measure you, for he, that's the only thing he keeps the measuring on. Huh? He keeps the measuring rod on forgiveness. If you, if you withhold forgiveness from others, he'll withhold it from you. What does that mean, Barb? That means that whatever you're waiting on, it's going to take longer if you get it. Some of your stuff gets canceled. You know how it gets canceled? You lose interest in it if you're not forgiven. Well, you think God can't do that? Huh? You marry somebody and you determine to stay mad at them because they're wrong. And you're right. Pretty soon you're down in divorce court. Why? You lost interest in it because of unforgiveness. Love keeps you interested in stuff. I don't know about you, but I find stuff that I like a whole lot, and I stay interested in that, huh? You know, sometimes I'll I'll be on uh, just glancing through my emails, and there are certain watches I like, and I'll be going through the email looking for something else so when I see one of them on sales. <laughs> 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 Click. Huh? We on there. The girl is on there. Why? Because I like it. I'm interested in it. Huh? Yeah, right. Now that watch has never done anything to me. I ain't going to get mad at it and fall out with it and quit liking it. Huh? You got me? But we do that in relationships. We do it with people. What you don't love, you will lose interest in. What you hold in contempt and unforgiveness, you lose interest in. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing you lose interest in it because if you stayed interested in it, you would do hurt and damage to it. Amen. Amen. Oh. <sighs> huh? Yeah. See, the fact that God is in charge of your life yeah. means that you don't go to domestic violence court. Yeah because you can't get along with your husband or your wife or whoever your date mate or whatever y'all call them things. You know, when God is in control of your life and you refuse to forgive and you stay angry at someone, he will cause you to lose interest in them and withdraw you from them rather than let the devil keep you worked up about somebody. Do you know that's how people wind up with restraining orders and stuff against one another you know, we did, didn't we just hop the broom with them three months ago and everything was wonderful? Well, write it down. If it's news to you, say hallelujah and we just keep walking. Listen, the grace of God and the mercy of God is so strong in a believer's life. That's why church people don't wind up as bad as they do. Huh? Some of them that you hear about, you hear about it because they've made their reputation on people knowing their business and following you. You know, a lot of the big name ministers, when they get in trouble, you know, little simple things they get in trouble with and you hear about it blasted, it's because they live the life where they want everything blasted about them. You got me? They've overridden God's protection in a sense. But God covers all of us folks in his love. He gives you a chance to get your mind straight, your heart straight, everything straight in you again. So you don't go off on somebody. You know, you look on your daddy's side and you got a bunch of. Seven numbers and red jumpsuit people in there and mama's side ain't much better. And then there's you who got saved. Wonder how you're different. Hmm? But for the grace of God, that's you. You got me? Because a lot of times we're plagued by the same crazy familiar devils that want to pull you down a wrong road. But God. huh? The devil doesn't want any parts of the blood of Jesus. No parts of it. He, you know, cringes, shrieks, scared he's going to slip and fall in and it. It'll annihilate him. He stays far away from the blood of Jesus. And that's what covers your life, protects your life. So we stay under the power, under the shadow of the Almighty. But God will cause you, if you don't forgive, honey, he'll cause you to lose interest in things. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think about it in a million years, either to do it good or do it harm. It's not a good way to live. He's called you to live a life of impact that makes a difference in the lives of people you don't even know, you haven't even met yet and may never meet. Your life can cause their life to change for the better. But if we continue to live small and live petty and don't like somebody and don't like this and don't like that and all that kind of stuff, let's grow up and move on to maturity. Amen? Quit doing the same baby things over and over again. Let's move on so that God can use us and use us more. So then when we are assembling together, these are some of the things that happen at the dynamic of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, it tells you how God sees the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Amen. So that's reminding us to treat every member of the body of Christ with dignity and respect. You got me? Yes. I mean, even if you feel like the armpit of the body of Christ, you know, or the toe jam or, or the navel lint, you know what I'm saying? The Bible says to the parts that are less comely that means less beautiful, he's imparted to them more abundant comeliness. Mm -hmm. More abundant comeliness. Let me see if I can find that one. I think it's 1223. Yeah, here it is. I'll keep reading on there. So he says, verse 20, it says, but now are they many members yet but one body? And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You don't have to know what you need that person sitting next to you for. Just accept the fact you need them. You don't have to find a purpose for them. You don't have to find a use for them. You don't have to, you you ain't God. You understand what I'm saying? Just let them be and let them be the foot. Uh, you know, they might need the toenails clipped today, or they might need a, a pedicure. But let them be the foot, okay? Because you need the foot. And he says, <clears throat> you, it, nay, much more, those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. You mean I got a love on brother so-and-so, and... You know, he says all his scriptures wrong and don't halfway come to church. When he come, he everybody and everybody say, yes, he's more feeble. <laughs> he's necessary. Huh? Why? Why do we say that? Oftentimes, parts of the body that struggle need more attention. Uh, now, wait a minute. Don't tell me you ain't been there. We've all been there. Listen, I remember Bible studies I would go to. The minute they would have an altar call, I broke my neck getting up there. I didn't even know what they called for. All I know is somebody wanted to listen to me. (laughs) Huh? Finally realized that I was called to preach so I could shut up and miss an altar call if it didn't pertain to me. Got me. But sometimes that's all. You know, when you get around these people, you get wound up, turned on, and you just got to get. You understand what I'm saying? And so the feeble parts need more help. Everybody knows that. So you give them more help. They refuse the help. You give them more help. They don't do what you tell them to do. You give them more help. Why? Because they need it. That's just the way it is. He says, and those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, oh boy, you know, when, whenever we have conferences, you know, I have to pray about who to have do. you know, just every job that's done. Now, most of you have grown into your job. But when we first started, oh, my goodness. I was there on time, and I was by myself. And I cried. I told, I told the Lord I'd never admit I cried about that, but I have. So he told me I could. But he told me to dry my tears because he would teach people, and oh man, is some resistant ones, huh? Some people start out on time and then start getting slow. What's wrong with that? You understand what I'm saying? And so I have to make sure that when I need work done, they'll be there. So I make everybody check in the hotel. That's how it's done. That's how you give a person a job and make sure they're there. Because they're there, you can see them, they got a room you, you know where you know where to find them. Yeah. I'm not going to drive myself nuts yeah. trusting people, to, even the people who live locally, the people in Detroit, know they better check in. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. We had some people that thought they wanted to commute back and forth, and pretty soon they didn't fit in. They yeah. didn't fit in from the beginning because they yeah. couldn't fi- follow simple instructions. Wow. Got yes. me? Yes. Simple. I'm not going to be sitting up waiting on a speaker and they not show up. Because you never came and nobody, I was, there was nowhere I could be aware of it. I'll make sure you got a room. And when I know where I need to find you, I know where I need to find you. You got me? And you can do that. How long does it take somebody to train themselves to get to the place where they're trustworthy with that? I don't know. But at some point, it clicks in with everybody. Because there's an anointing to help you. Do you know the Holy Spirit will remind you of your job if you'll listen to him? If you'll cultivate a relationship with him, he'll remind you. I remember when we would sleep late. Nobody sleeps late anymore. In fact, no, but we live on three hours, four hours, five hours. Huh? Because, and then when you get up, you're refreshed. You can function. We ain't killed nobody at a, at a healing school yet. You understand we can kill nobody, feed them yet? huh? Because the the mercy of God is able to get you to the place where you can accept what you're doing. And then the grace of God enables you to float in on that. If you stay on that wave and float on it the whole way, you'll be fine. Every now and then you get somebody who wants to do things their own way. And that's where it breaks down. And that's where I let somebody else deal with it. I get Miss Nola... Because I can't do it. You got me? I'm not graced to do it. But she is. huh? She handles all the hotel people and all the detail. I used to do it. I can't do it anymore. See? And once it handed off, then she's, now she has the grace and the anointing to do it. You got me? Yes. We've had people to want to jump on her. Men to want to jump on her. You understand that? This isn't anything to play with. And I don't like having to call a husband and Tony and everybody. We get ugly. We get Detroit ugly on people just to get them straight. But I'll do it in a minute if they're going to harm somebody here. You understand what I'm saying? See, you deal with real people in real situations. But our job is to bring life to the body of Christ. It's to build up people through the ministry. And so we, as a ministry, have to get trained to do that ourselves. We have to build one another up. Everybody here has to work with everybody. You got me? So we learn how to do those things so that we can keep this ministry going and keep the work of the ministry going. I don't know why I got off on that, but, you know, we, you need to, need to understand how these things happen. There's work that has to be done. When you're in charge of things, you have to learn how to, Hold them, learn how to fold them, learn how to walk away. And you understand what I'm saying? There's all kinds of ways to handle difficult things. The tragedy of it was that somebody was going to try and beat her up because of money. Ministers. And I'm just being honest with you all. You understand? What, and that's why many times we've put the discipline in you so heavy to stay with your job. Stay with your people. When I tell you to take a minister to the to meeting, am I right, Matthew? You don't take them nowhere else because you don't know what devil is around the corner. Huh? What accident, what traffic jam, whatever. You know, I mean, something is simple. You drive every day. But when you're under the power of God, t- taking anointed people back and forth and working under the power, you don't know what the devil's got planned. But if you stay under authority and stay under it the right way, you'll get your job done. You know what I'm saying? You'll be able to be blessed out of it because God appreciates how we function together as a body of people. So when the hand says to the eye, I have no need of you, that's not right. You need everybody. And those members of the body we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor. Men. There's some people, you know, they look real exotic, you know, kind of just like, well, I'm a minister. <laughs> okay, you know, God bless you. You know, first you kind of look, you know what exotic means. It means eye-popping, you know, just notice something. just, boom. And uh, you kind of like train yourself to stay respectful and train yourself to stay honorable, You honor them. Well, okay, uh, Reverend so-and-so, we have some seats up here. You come right on up and sit with us, you know? And then they get up there and they shout the whole time and jump up and down and bounce all over the altar. And you think, what? (laughs) But you still do it because the Bible tells you you're you're to honor those people. Sometimes people that don't conduct themselves, they may be called and haven't been disciplined and refined enough to conduct themselves will wind up being a blessing. That woman that gave us them, them uh, gold coins, who would have thought that? I mean, you know what I'm saying. You just receive them. Bless you, sister. Thank you so much and all that. And then you look, you say, is gold gone up twice what it was since this girl gave me this money. You know what I'm saying? You, you look at those things. That's where you honor somebody, even though maybe they're not acting in an honorable fashion. You recognize that these people belong to God and that these people are precious to God. And they're worth your time. They're worth your respect. They're worth dignity. I've been places where they don't treat you right because you're a woman calling yourself a minister. You understand? I feel bad for those people. Because they're trying to carry something they're not, they don't, they don't have the maturity to carry it yet. And they're trying to carry something that's way beyond their weight of carrying. And pretty soon they drop it. You don't hear about them carrying much anymore. To our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. The parts that just don't seem to fit anywhere. Comely means attractive, respectful looking. God gives them more abundant comeliness. There'll just be something about them, somebody will like. You got me? It's just somebody, like <laughs> Pastor Shirley, is always tenderhearted toward everybody. It's just something about everybody she tends to be able to like. You got me? And you need people like that because the, the less comely parts need somebody who can just allow them to be who they are, make expectations of them, but don't make too much of an expectation too fast to discourage them. And so we have people like that who are able to see good in everybody and respond to it the right way. So he says, for our comely parts have no need. In other words, if you, all that in a bag of chips, you know, you're fine. And it's good to be mature in God. But God has tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to the part that lacked. And there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So when one of us is sick, we all pray. When one of us is, is, uh, doesn't have the finances, we all dig in. You got me? Because that's what a body does, takes care of the part that doesn't have what it needs. It says, there will always be many members of one body, but we have one head, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he directs the members of the body. That's why it's good to pray about how you treat one another. Pray about how you respond to one another, because then you'll tap into the mind of God. You'll have the attitude of God, one for another, and then the body will thrive. The body will thrive. So it's a good thing to always have that. In Ephesians 4.14, the fivefold ministry gifts help the growth of the body. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are there to help us fit and be joined together. They are gifts and abilities that each office can train and bring forth. So we need the abilities of all, and we build ourselves up together in love, thinking no ill about one another. Boy, that's a challenge. Look, 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 look. She think I'm Gigi, honey. I G. You running from your mama? She got you, honey. Oh, come here, let Baba. What you do? You done took something from her, didn't you? Huh? You don't want me? She think I'm. Look, look at her just a stiff. Ought to be ashamed of yourself. Give me a little stuff. Look, 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 look. That's right. You go to Gigi. (laughs) Using me to get to her. I felt you. Praise God. So love thinks no ill of one another. But we speak the truth in love. And we build ourselves up with increase. What time we got, little Howard. Oh, okay. All right. Praise God. Then we have time for my example. I want you to turn to John chapter 11. We're going to talk about how the body of Christ helps one another. John chapter 11. You know, it's really good to, to um, understand how... Parts of the body function one with another. There are some people that I've known for years as a Christian. And, you know, we're in different churches, different doing different works and all that kind of stuff. But whenever I hear from them and run into them, I'm so glad to hear from them. They're glad to hear from me. We're glad to know that we're still fighting the same fight. We're still serving God. You know, that's somebody that's still in the fight, still in the hunt. So it's a good thing. So in John chapter 11, <clears throat> says a certain man, Lazarus, was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. It was that Martha which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is the same two women. Therefore, his sisters went to him saying, Lord, behold, the one that you love is sick. And Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Whenever you have prayed for someone to be healed, that sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. They didn't, God didn't make them sick. Now understand this. And people, he doesn't make people sick to get glory from them. But when sickness comes, if you will pray, and if you will get God's peace about it that he's healing them, it, from that point forward, it's for the glory of God. You got me? Before you prayed, it could have been a toss up. But after you pray, then whatever happens is for the glory of God. Do you understand me? And so that's how, this is how people get twisted up about illness and what it means and all this and shit. You know, you need to be praying to get well, period. But once you prayed, it is for the glory of God. Until you pray, it's not. You get me? And so he says, now <clears throat> that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So Jesus is going to show people, reveal people some goodness about himself through this sickness. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, now faith works by love. That's an important to put in there. You got me? Uh, You can't, God won't use you if you're trying to get glory outside of love. Glory isn't for us, it's for God anyway. And he loved them when he heard, therefore, that he was sick. He abode there two days, still in the same place where he was. So Jesus didn't go anywhere for two days. See, he has a schedule, folks. You already written in. I. I mean, it was not news to him that Lazarus. This call for Lazarus was coming. He, Lazarus was already inked in. He wasn't penciled in. Okay, we're all inked in in his blood. And he says, when he heard there, he was glad. And after that, he said to his disciples, "Let's uh, let's go to Judea again." Okay, Bethany isn't on the schedule yet, but we know it's coming. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? And Jesus says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. These things he said. After that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going that I might awake him out of sleep. So he's telling, once you pray for somebody, they're not on the death list anymore. Amen. They're on the sleep Amen. list. They just need to be awakened. got me? When the disciples heard, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Well, they don't really ever understand anything too much what he says. But Jesus spoke of his death. Then he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Ah, how dare you say he's glad he's dead. You're glad that you didn't get there on time. He said, for your sakes, Lazarus is taken care of. You know, there's more people involved in your life than just you. Like, for instance, you know, you're looking for a financial breakthrough or you're looking to prosper in a business. There's more at stake than just you getting your money in your hands. There are people looking on. You're a witness. You got me? And so for the sake of your witness, God may take you a different route just so that he can prove a different point to the lookers-on. And so he says here, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then said Thomas unto his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. So Thomas isn't clued in either. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was near unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother, sure. And Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary sat still in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, he will give it to you. So Mary at least is injecting a little faith in with her comment. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And here's Martha doubting again. I know he'll rise again. Isn't it like that sometimes when you need something from God? You're encouraged one minute and then doubt pops up again. The next encouraged and doubt, encouraged and doubt. The Bible says don't doubt in your heart. Your head's going to doubt. But don't let it creep in your heart. Amen. 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 Consider not. Don't let it. See, when you start considering what you doubt, it'll seep down he you say I ah, ah, come back up out of there thoughts will come to your head but don't doubt in your heart the Bible says if you don't doubt in that place you can have what you say he said my brother shall rise again and he says she says oh I know he'll rise at the resurrection of the level well, Martha put your religious spirit away you know you get all kind of people around difficult stressful situations Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this and she said yes lord i believe And she goes being religious again she never said she believed what he just told her and when she is so said she went her way and called mary her sister secretly saying the master is coming he's calling for you well he didn't call for her you little liar As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus was not yet come to the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, comforted her. Hmm. When they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, they followed her. Religion will always follow you. Jesus doesn't care who shows up at a resurrection service because he is the resurrection and the life. So come everybody, if you can stand it, if your heart can stand this man getting up out of this grave, you can come. So when Mary was come where Jesus, where she saw him, fell down at his feet, Lord, if you had been here that my brother would not have died. So they're all rebuking Jesus. They're all defeated, telling him that what would have happened, it's, in other words, it's too late for you to do anything for him, Jesus. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping and came with her. Well, they're professional weepers, this bunch is. They weep at all funerals. I mean, you can turn them on and turn them off with a quarter, okay? It's like He groaned in his spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And she said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. Past tense. Past tense. That groaning in Jesus' spirit was intercession to raise Lazarus from the dead. A spirit in you groans with uttering words that cannot be uttered. Some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? In other words, they're given like the autopsy. Huh? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, came to the grave. It was a cave and a stone was laid upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, a lot of Jesus' intercession is to remove that spirit of grief, that spirit of failure, giving up, hopelessness. That's what he, he's interceding against as he moves toward the grave to get Lazarus out of there. So in your wild imagination to raise somebody from the dead, be prepared for the amount of preparatory work it will take you because it took Jesus, the art of intercession and responding to the Holy Spirit to intercede and remove these spiritual forces from the atmosphere so that life could come in there. You got me? And so it says, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, verse 38, came to the grave, It was a cave and a stone was laid on. He said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said to him, Lord, by now he stinks. He'd been dead four days. No faith. So Jesus is going to have to carry this one all by himself, which he is perfectly capable of doing. So if God moves on you to do something, you do it. Because if he has prepared the way and the Holy Spirit is drawing you and giving you the peace to go forth and speak into these situations, then you go ahead and obey him. And so Jesus said to her, didn't I say to you, if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up in his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you hear me always, but because of the people who stand by, I said it that they may believe that you have sent me. So really, sometimes miracles are for people standing by to believe on God, just to put their faith in God. That's part of it. I mean, he wants Lazarus raised up, but, but he does a lot of things in one, one operation. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You all know that he had power over every life in there. If he hadn't called somebody by name, everybody would have got up. You got me? (laughs) And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus said, Loose him and let him go free. Jesus did not loose him himself, but the body of Christ under his direction has the authority to set deliverance onto other bodies in the body of Christ. This is how we function with each other. This is why you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. you ever been in a conversation with somebody in church or just standing getting ready to go in the parking lot going home? Or just standing, waiting to go to the bathroom and somebody says something to you. And you all of a sudden feel lighter on the inside of yourself. That's loosing grave clothes off of you. We all got them. We all come out of the grave bound. We're not free as we can be yet. We're not free as we're going to be. But, and gifts get loose then. I can remember when I was at home believing God to get well. And I was born again. I was even baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I had not come free in my gift and my calling yet. But as soon as I got involved in a church and I got involved in a Bible study where I could be taught the word, that stuff started to unravel off of me and I began to to see exactly what God had called me to be. This won't happen to you if you're stuck at home somewhere and wondering. You see the psychic people in the long island medium those people have legitimate gifts legitimate prophetic gifts legitimate prophetic sensitivity but they've not had that gift released by god and look who gets it it's the same thing with christians that sit at home and don't get they've got gifts but they don't get released to god the devil will use people like that to wrongly influence people i know people right now that have got people that are attached to them they met them In the body of Christ. And they won't let them call anybody else. They won't let them talk to anybody else. They got to come to them. And they always got a word for them. It's witchcraft. And so we have to be ever vigilant folks. You stay where God puts you. There will be great temptation in days to come. For people to feel that God's telling them something different. But he's not. He's telling you his word. And I have told you this day. So that you be prepared. When the devil comes knocking And trying to move you somewhere that you've already been warned that that's going to happen. But you stay fast in God. Because I don't care how, how bad, you know, things get. How few people they are. You know, in Detroit, we've been tested beyond testing. But we're still there because God hasn't told us to do anything different. We're there for a reason. And we're there for a purpose. I'm not called to be a preacher of L.A. I'm not called to be. I'm called to be over the ministry of the watchman and to release prophetic people in the earth who can do some damage to the devil's kingdom. And as, we, and as we rejoice in that and as we accept that mandate and that call, we'll find our place and we'll find our contentment and we'll find our purpose. Amen? Why don't I stop? Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. To know your word, to understand your word, Father. We bless you. We thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. We'll have prayer. Praise God. And we'll have lunch afterwards.